Welcome back to Cinematicon Ex Mortis, the horror movie discussion podcast hosted by Kenny and Heather. And today for a special Valentine's Day treat, we're watching The Fly uh, from 1986. So a a few facts about the movie. This is David Cronenberg's remake of a 1958 film based on a 1957 short story by George Langelon. I hope I pronounced that right. Probably not. Um, Both of those with the same title. Uh, Cronenberg, who's known for Videodrome, The Brood, The Dead Zone, and other horror movie classics, directed this and has a co-writer credit, having rewritten a script by Charles Edward Pogue. The film stars Gina Davis, Jeff Goldblum, and John Getz. Uh, has music by frequent Cronenberg collaborator, who also did the score to the Lord of the Rings films, Howard Shore. So, um, I guess I'll jump into the plot summary here. So, uh, spoilers for both this film and the 1958 film that it's a remake of. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit, at least, about that one. Um, although I don't think Heather has seen that one, right? No. Okay, but um, I might, you know, compare some stuff in that to this. So um, if you want to be totally safe, go see both of those movies. Um, I would recommend both, but I think pretty much everybody agrees that the the one we're talking about is, like, way better um, than the original. Um, so, okay, so what happens in The Fly? Um, inventor Seth Brundle meets journalist Ronnie Quaife at a party and convinces her to come back to his apartment to see his invention. There he reveals that he has discovered the secret of teleportation and built a pair of what he calls telepods. The next day, Seth convinces Ronnie not to go public with the discovery. In return, he will allow her to document the whole process of refining the device, which works fine on inanimate objects but can't teleport living tissue without horrific results. Over the following days, Ronnie becomes romantically involved with Seth, pissing off her possessive ex-boyfriend and current boss, Stathis. After figuring out how to teleport living tissue, Seth tests the device on himself, not realizing a fly has flown into the pod with him. Over the following weeks, Ronnie notices changes in Seth's appearance and behavior. Seth thinks that he's been improved and wants Ronnie to go through the same process, but Ronnie becomes convinced that something is terribly wrong. As Seth's body begins to mutate in disgusting ways, it becomes clear that his DNA has fused with that of the fly, and he is now becoming Brundlefly. To make matters worse, Ronnie finds out she's pregnant with Seth's child. As Seth scrambles for a way to reverse his worsening condition, Ronnie has to decide what to do about her pregnancy. So, um, this is your first time watching this movie, I think. You think I would do that again? (laughs) No. Yes. It's um, the first and only time forever. Uh, the, I, I would do it again. I've seen this uh, many times. Um, You're a sicko. I'm a big fan of Cronenberg. I don't think I've seen any of his other stuff. Oh, okay. So we got a lot to so. work through. Oh. I mean, are they all as gross as that? Hmm... No, I don't think so. Uh, I'm not convinced. I'm not sold. This is one of the grosser ones, but that's kind of what you go to Cronenberg for. So this is kind of his magnum uh, opus, as le- at least as far as I, I'm concerned. Uh, most, I, I don't know, a lot of people would say Videodrome is his masterpiece, but I'm not as crazy about that one. Um, but that is similar to this. 
in that they're both in the subgenre of body horror, which is horror that's mm-hmm. kind of about the um, violation of your bodily uh, autonomy and about you know your fingers falling off or your your just like stuff entering your body in weird ways and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of what he's what he's known for. Like, and this is sort of spilled out into general pop culture. It used to be something that like only super nerds like me knew about, but you see references to it uh, every once in a while. Like, um, uh, you know, Rick and Morty, the episode where they accidentally transform the whole population of Earth into like horrible zombie monsters. I think it was in season one. Um, they call I those monsters you. Cronenbergs. They're like, oh, oh we Cronenberg okay. the whole world. That's what okay. th- that is a reference to. Well, now I get to know that reference. Lucky me. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. what did you what did you think about the movie? Did you love it or <laughs> uh, like super love? Is this your favorite movie <laughs> now? Uh, I, uh, where do I begin? Um. As much as I want to be mad at you for my seeing this film, it's partially my fault because you gave me an, a choice mm-hmm. and I picked this one. So yeah, we wanted to do a, like a romantic movie for Valentine's Day. Yeah. Um, okay. I was watching this movie and I was like, what a sick fuck. Like <laughs> this was because I said like, oh, we should do a valentine's day like a some sort of and you said like oh okay well then we'll do like a romantic horror or whatever and i'm like oh that sounds great yeah let's do that and then i don't understand how in your just disgusting maze of a brain you came up with this i i don't i don't see how this isn't a romance is i mean you got uh (sighs) Uh, Ronnie and Seth and their whole relationship plays out over the course of the movie uh, which is a difference between this and the earlier film so in the first one um, the inventor is already married at the beginning of the story Um, so this one is it really is like a a romance that I mean it's a tragic romance in the end but Mm -hmm. you know I, I thought some parts of it were pretty sexy I guess i mean the sad part is is that like i was like ooh, (laughs) i know that that movie has jeff goldblum in it and so i picked this movie so i could thirst over jeff goldblum um he is in good form here isn't he okay listen this if you want to watch this movie because you think ooh, jeff goldblum is so sexy it cannot go worse for you. Like, <laughs> it literally cannot go worse. I, I totally disagree. I mean, uh, I think this movie has everything that you would want if that's what you're watching it for. He's got, like, the the whole gymnastics scene where he's, like, shirtless and just, you know, doing all this kind of yes, stuff. I, he's all sweaty. And then... Like, listen. Not only am I no longer attracted to Jeff Goldblum, I never want to look at his face again. So... <laughs> Wow. This broke a part of me that I can never get back. Uh, uh, it was 
absolutely horrifying, which I guess is what you want out of a horror movie. Yeah. Um, story-wise, it's good. It's just so ugly. <laughs> it's There's things that happen in this movie that are... It's like someone took them out of my worst nightmares. Mm. Like they, like it was specifically things that gross me out so badly. So yeah. That's interesting that you say nightmares. Cause, um, I have another friend that I showed this movie to, and she said that like the, that night she dreamed that she had like flies crawling out of her skin. So it, yeah. she actually had a nightmare. I was worried that was going to happen to me. Luckily, so far it has not. But I've had a lot of, like, waking visions that are awful. Like, I can't stop thinking about how how awful this movie is. Not, mm-hmm. like, awful. Like, not awfully written, but just how gruesome. I'm traumatized. It traumatized me. Yeah. I don't know how else to explain it. It's, yeah. I haven't dreamt anything, thank God. You know, I think that's kind of interesting, like what's happened to the English language. Like we used to have all these nice words for things that inspire feelings of horror um, and they Mm -hmm. all get turned into words that just mean bad. So like terrible used to mean inspiring terror. Awful Mm -hmm. used to mean, you know, producing a sense of awe or fear. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, now you you can't say those horrible there's a difference between a movie that's just like poorly written and just a pile of shit. But this movie clearly is good because I had such a strong reaction to it. Otherwise I would just be like, ugh, what a waste of my life, you know? Yeah. It's, so I don't think it's boring. Um, no, it holds no. your attention. Yeah. In like the same way that like you can't look away from a, horrible train wreck yeah but i mean i think that's uh we might be giving our listeners the impression that the movie is just like from frame one just a a a nightmare you know just like horrible things happening but really like nothing that bad happens until i i would you say like two-thirds of the way through the movie Mm, yeah i mean even the after first... he goes into the teleporter with the fly, it's a long time until we start to get to the really horrific, you know, mutations. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a contrast because <clears throat> in the beginning, I guess it does seem sort of like a romantic comedy and then it just goes to hell. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think if it hadn't started out the way that it does, it wouldn't be nearly as horrifying. Yeah, and that's what I really love about a horror movie is when it kind of like ropes you in, it kind of uh, sneaks up on you and it makes mm-hmm. you think you're watching one kind of a movie and then you get to a certain point and you're like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm watching a very different thing than what I what I signed up for. Totally. And I think getting that formula right is probably difficult because if you introduce the horror aspect too early, then it kind of falls flat. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I think, I don't know. I really respect movies because I think a lot of movies feel like they have to right out of the gate, sort of announce what kind of movie it is. I think we talked about this a little bit with um, your next 
Um, how... That's what I keep thinking about in my head. So we must have. Yeah, like that one, you know, the very first scene in the movie is a horror scene where people get killed and then nobody mm -hmm. gets killed for like 20 minutes as we, you know, introduce all the characters. And if you took out that very first scene, it could just play as like a family dramedy until the, the you know, the shit hits the fan. Um, but But I think a lot of movies feel the need to put that thing in at the beginning like some kind of horror sting at the beginning of the movie um i guess just to keep the audience interested through the quote-unquote boring stuff that is going to come before the monster actually starts attacking people um and uh this movie has the confidence to know that like its story and its characters are interesting enough that we're not going to be like fidgeting in our seats so speaking of the early part of the film, the love story, um, did the love story work for you? I mean, it's fine. It's okay. It, uh, there's just not enough time. Hmm. There's not enough time to flesh that out. Like as much as, you know, you would hope, but it's, yeah, it moves pretty quickly. That's true. I mean, it's, it's good. It's fine. I don't have a problem with it. I don't really feel one way or another about it. I wasn't like, oh my god, I ship it so hard, you know? Yeah, I thought that uh, Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum had pretty good chemistry, which makes sense because um, they actually got married shortly after making this movie. Um, that is were... something that I, I read. I yeah. did read that and was surprised because I normally know stuff like that and I didn't know that, so that's interesting. Yeah, this was, I think, the middle of three movies they did right in a row that they co-starred uh and mm. and uh they were dating the what whole were time. the other what were the other movies do you know i forget they weren't like as oh, okay. notable as this one well i'm gonna look it up later yeah i watched uh, some of the commentary track with uh cronenberg where he said that they wanted jeff goldblum and then i think they they cast gina davis because she was dating him and they wanted it to kind of be you know, natural. Hmm. Interesting. Um, also, she's six feet tall, and he's six really? four. Yeah. So they look kind what? of like they look like normal humans in the movie because he's four inches taller than her. But like, if you saw them standing next to other people, you'd be like, "Oh, these are like two freakish giants." <laughs> wow. I have no idea. Or if you cast him with like an ordinary actress, you know, he would be like a foot taller than her. Uh huh. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I love that. So speaking of the casting, I was thinking about how I think Jeff Goldblum is just about perfect casting for this movie. Like you really couldn't get a better actor for that particular role. Because what do you need for Seth Brundle? You need somebody who is nerdy, right? Like he's he's this kind of introverted scientist, genius inventor guy. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's a romance, so he's got to be sexy, right? You got to buy that he's able to, you know, seduce uh, this beautiful journalist, and we've got to mm -hmm. kind of fall in love with him too. So he's got to be charismatic, but then he's got to turn into a fly um, in the second half of the film, and so he's got to be somebody who can uh, have this kind of manic energy to him, and kind of like a. Uh, a quirky sort of ticky sort of thing and it's like mm -hmm. all of those things are jeff goldblum you know like, it would be hard to find another actor who has that close combination of qualities yeah it's a shame that he's ruined forever 
I really liked him. It's sad. Well, so what are, is, are there particular moments here that like really disturbed you that are causing <sighs> you to say that he's ruined forever and so forth? Well, <laughs> watching him turn more and more into an insect was pretty gross and just oh god it was i guess you know it was really well done for 1986 like that was so i i don't want to say realistic because how the fuck would we know right but it was it felt it's believable Mm -hmm. so i mean that must have taken so many hours to do that like all those prosthetics and stuff oh yeah must have taken forever like that was some intense work I think that this movie is a great example of how to spend your resources wisely as a filmmaker because mm-hmm. you could tell that they had limited resources. Like there are three characters in this movie. <laughs> I and think, there's like what two two three sets? Yeah, there are very like few locations. Yeah. I mean there there's the occasional scene that takes place someplace else, like um the confrontation between ronnie and her boss stathis at the clothing Mm -hmm. store but Mm -hmm. that's a really short scene they could have done that in half a day and the vast majority of the movie takes place in uh the empty sort of warehouse where uh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, seth has his where he lives and invents his stuff um so yeah very few locations very few actors um and usually when you have that kind of thing, it's like a low budget movie, right? Like that's uh, one of the biggest ways to economize on your, you know, indie movie is like, okay, we're going to have it all take place in like one location because moving and setting up in different locations is just like a nightmare. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you can control the lighting and this indoor place and all this stuff. And so they, you could tell that it's sort of low budget, but they put the money where it needed to go, which was the the special effects. Like the, the fly needs to look great. And it really does. Um, I especially like the very, end, like the final version of the fly that we see when he's, his like face sort of melts away and it's like a fly head. Oh, good um, God. I think that my, that's one of my favorite movie monsters of all time. It looks so, so disturbing. It is. Yikes. And it just comes from, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing creature design, but there's just like an insight at the core of this fly idea that I think goes back all the way to the 1958 film, which is that bugs are just horrifying looking when you <laughs> look at them under a microscope or something like they look, you know, fine when you're just a human sized person looking at them. But if they were our size or we were their size they would be the scariest thing in the world i don't like bugs from where i am like (laughs) i don't i don't like it already so what does that tell you yeah so yeah this might be one of those movies where your mileage will vary considerably depending on how you feel about bugs like you know Mm -hmm. with a lot of things right there are a lot of movies like that where it's like are you you have a terrible fear of sharks you know like that's going to affect whether jaws is scary to you or not mm-hmm. um like i think it'll some still people, be like some people reasonably can't stand scary. like blood or like mm-hmm. some people can't stand like i have this thing where i can't like i have 
I hate cannibalism. Like for oh, some yeah? reason that freaks me out cannibalism. really badly. It's delicious. Well, you know, that's probably something you should work out. Um, but that's something I don't understand about myself. I don't know where that comes from. Like, why does that freak me out so bad? But mm. everyone has like their different things that like trigger them. Definitely. And bugs, bugs are a big one for me. So that's good to know for the future. Yeah. I don't like the way you said that. So this movie's disturbing. It's scary without things like jumping out at you. It's more scary because you're invested in the story and, and then plus the, the gross out factor. Um, but I think that the re one reason this movie continues to be uh, so popular and talked about is that you can kind of read it as like a Rorschach blot. Like it, it taps into a lot of stuff that was going on in the culture at the time. And that's still relevant. Um, did you think about any of the ways in which this movie might reflect on like politics of sex and gender? I really was not in a position to be looking at metaphors. Um, I was just fucking horrified. Hmm. So I couldn't like really like, you know, unfold any layers or anything because I was, I was just horrified. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. That's you know interesting. What I mean? So your brain kind of like shuts down. Yeah. It was point. just like frozen in fear. It was just too much. You know, it was too much for my brain to handle. This is something people often say about uh, the movie The Thing as well. I know we watched that at some point. <clears throat> A long time ago. Yeah, but people talk about that um, in relation to AIDS, um, the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s. Um, mm -hmm. Because you have like the scene where they're testing the blood of all the people to see whether they have it. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a sort of fear of contagion and not knowing who is infected and who's not. And I think you could see a, a different aspect of uh, the fear of AIDS here, um, maybe a more personal uh, aspect, which is, you know, the fear of your own body sort of slowly uh, mm -hmm. falling apart and, okay. or of having a loved one's, body do that and having to deal with that um and i think this movie it gets to the the fear of that um but it also is surprisingly touching sometimes um like uh i'm thinking about when seth is like halfway towards being a fly and he's talking to uh ronnie and he sort of absent-mindedly during their conversation like pulls out a donut and vomits on top of it uh, because that's just how he eats now uh -huh. and and then he notices her reaction of horror and and he goes oh that's disgusting <laughs> <laughs> like he's you know he's been doing that so regularly that he it's not disgusting to him anymore and and he's uh you know, and, and he suddenly sort of realizes what he is in someone else's eyes, you know, how disgusting he is. And and her disgust just flips 
into compassion and she mm-hmm. she hugs him you know with all the yeah. vomit on him and everything and you're thinking like oh, oh I, my god that's gross yeah. but at the same time it's like it's really moving that she uh-huh. gets through the the <sighs> disgust and the horror uh, of what he looks like and you know he's still someone that she loves and she is uh you know uh really sad for about what's happened to him mm-hmm. um this is like right around the time his ear fell off too yeah his ear falls off like right after there, it's, yeah. there's a comic element to it too right like um all these things happening I... in such quick succession it almost becomes like a comedy scene and, and I, I i guess i just love scenes that are like that you know it's like it's teetering between these so many different things like horror and disgust and uh comedy and tragedy it's like it's all there in this like uh mixed up stew mm-hmm. yeah well i can laugh about it now at the time i was just like oh no don't do that you know yeah i couldn't get past the disgust aspect of it yeah well Maybe you should, you know, watch it three or four more times. No, and... I'm good, though. Thanks. I believe you. Yeah. So I, I don't know that it has like a political point that it's making about about AIDS or, you know, similar uh, degenerative diseases. But I think there's it's tapping into a, a human reality of that in in surprising ways. Um, mm-hmm. Another sort of. A uh, hot button issue in the 80s as today is uh, abortion um, and this is mm-hmm. um, I was reading an article uh, that was written a few years ago about uh, abortion in genre fiction and it's a it's surprisingly rare to see abortion uh, be represented in like fiction in general like mainstream uh, television or movies um, and even in genre fiction, it's pretty rare. Um, and I was really a, surprised by yeah. that. And this is a movie that really sort of goes into uh, that that issue, and, and it becomes, I guess, the uh, the main conflict at the end of the film is that uh, Ronnie uh, finds out that she's pregnant. She's worried that um, this would this uh, child would have the brundlefly DNA. And so she wants mm-hmm. an abortion. Um, and uh, Seth finds out about this and uh, he has other ideas. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what did you think about that plot line? I think that's probably the most horrifying aspect of the movie to me. Oh, yeah. Did you yeah. did you find the uh, the dream talk about dream it. sequence? I don't want to talk about it. Nope, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, okay, well for for our listeners, there is a oh uh, god uh, an unsettling dream sequence involving a uh, an abortion that uh, mm-hmm. Ronnie is thinking about having. Um. And there's actually you can actually see uh, David Cronenberg himself. Uh, he's the abortion doctor that's down there between her legs in, the, really? in that sequence. Yeah, he it's like he did a little cameo, like a Hitchcock kind of. Oh, interesting. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, that whole plot kind of, uh, ties into, um, one of the major themes of the film as I see it, which is, um, Ronnie's fight for her own autonomy. Like she's this strong career woman, uh, in, uh, the, you know, conservative eighties and she's got these very strong male figures in her life that just want to really control herself and her body. Um, so her, her boss is like really a creep Stathis. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you felt about Stathis. Well, he started out as this like creepy, possessive, a controlling douchebag. And I was just like, fuck this guy, you know? And then he sort of becomes her like pillar of support. It like completely changes, which was bizarre, but like, okay. Yeah. She needed somebody to lean on in this mess. So yeah. And he's like the only other character in the movie. So <laughs> right. She can't call her mom or something. <laughs> like, look, we can't afford another character. So you're just going to have to change into another person. Well, I, I don't, I don't think I totally agree with that. I think he's he's never like abusive towards her, but he's like aggressive, right? In letting himself into the apartment and mm -hmm. following her and around. He, he wouldn't give the key back. He's like, mm, I think I'll keep it. I was like, oh fuck this guy. Yeah, what a dick. But I think mm -hmm. all of that's all that stuff comes from a place of uh, caring about her, uh, and. Mm -hmm not just not being over her right like he's not ready to let her go i think he says that at some point right like i don't want you to leave my life mm -hmm. um which is a character flaw certainly like he needs to just get over it mm -hmm. um but i think he's not a purely villainous character you know what i mean like well, he's not, not just but even from the beginning you know i think we sort of can see um from his perspective uh that he's even though what he's doing is inappropriate and it's controlling that he isn't just just a douchebag i don't know <laughs> i don't know how to explain this you think he's more he's got more facets than just like dick ex-boyfriend yeah like you see this kind of character in like rom-coms all the time right like the bad the bad boyfriend or the bad yeah. suitor yeah um who's a jerk he's rich he's powerful mm -hmm. he thinks he can get whatever he wants and he's entitled and blah blah blah. and then he's you know the foil to the good suitor um that's going to end up with the heroine in the end um mm -hmm. and that's like the archetype that he's built out of but i think they give him more more complexity and more interiority than that kind of character would normally have. So it's almost like a fake out. It's like they want you to think that he's this character, but he's really not. Yeah, he's a little he's a little more complicated, I guess. Right. Um, he doesn't really fit into that mold perfectly. There's like more going on. Yeah. Which, you know, you could also say that like he a theory is that I have um, 
he really isn't as much of a jerk as he like thinks he is. Hmm. And then he's kind of just like playing that part a little bit. Um, but when, when like she really needs him, like the, his real self comes out. He, it's kind of like character growth in a way. Like maybe he didn't know just how good of a person he really is. Maybe. I mean, but it's not like the ending of the movie requires him to like transform into like to do something that he wouldn't want to do right like because his natural instinct is to hate the new boyfriend and Mm -hmm. uh fight him for uh ronnie and so when the new boyfriend turns out to be a monster it's kind of like uh it's more like reality has changed to sort of fit his delusion. <laughs> mm-hmm. I see. Okay. Um, but but that we do see that he's... out for him. Yeah, that he's, Except. like, courageous, that he's willing to fight for her. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think the the archetype would, would, like, back down, right? Like, he would run yeah. away. He would be self-centered yes. in the end. Yes. Um, and then, I guess... Seth is kind of a similar thing maybe is going on with him where he is at first seems like the the archetypical good suitor where he's more introverted he's more shy um but he's really smart and he's you know he underneath this exterior he's really kind and uh blah 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 and so it's like oh of course she's meant to be with him um but then he kind of transforms into a jerk Mm-hmm. Uh, because he's literally transforming into a uh, inhuman creature. I have a question. Shoot. Um, what the hell was up with that weird monologue about insect politicians? Oh, I love, I love that. That's something we should say I've... too. Is like this is one of the best written movies of like the 1980s. The, the writing in this is so good. I love the monologues in this. Well, I didn't, I didn't get it, and I remember watching it. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to ask Kenny about this because there's clearly something really important here that I, I have no idea what he's fucking talking about. So, yeah. so he says, "Have you ever heard of insect politics?" And she says, "No." He says, "Neither have I." Uh, insects don't have politics. Um, because they don't uh, compromise. They can't uh, interact with each other without it being, you know, violent. So then he says, I want to be the first insect politician. So that's what does he mean by that? Well, that's a moment where he's, he's more hopeful. um, Because he kind of like has this, you know, emotional roller coaster as he transforms where at first he thinks he's got some kind of cancer and he's just going to die. Um, so mm-hmm. he's kind of resigned to death. And then he finds out, no, I'm I'm getting like superpowers. So he kind of thinks like, oh, I'm going to be like Spider-Man, you know, which mm-hmm. if you think about it, this is a lot like a superhero origin story or like what that would be in real life, you know? <laughs> Do you know what's really weird? What? I know we're supposed to be wrapping this up, but I thought that exact thing because... Okay, I've never, <laughs> I've I'd never seen the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Okay, I'd never seen them, and for some reason, I started watching it last night, and I started noticing 
the similarities. And I was like, well, I know this is kind of a common trope in comic books, but now it's something I'm picking up on more. So it's just really weird that you just mentioned Spider-Man because that's like exactly what I was watching. Well, and I think there is in the comic books, there's like an alternate universe Spider-Man that really is like this, where he just like he has like a spider's head, like he's horrifying. Well, there's a there's a Batman like that, too. There's Man Bat. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's like that. So anyway, so he's he starts to think of himself as like, again, having been improved, right, which is his original thought. So he first thinks like, oh, I'm I've become like superhuman by going through this thing because he just has so much energy and he's super strong. And then he realizes Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to die. This is a disease. And then he kind of comes back to like, oh, I'm getting powers. Like I can crawl around on the ceiling now. Um, And Mm -hmm. he's, he's trying to just work out like, what is, what is my life going to be now? You know, like what is my place in the world as this freak he doesn't want to be a sideshow he doesn't want to be a you know uh, something for people to experiment on and study um and so he's i think in that moment he's he's thinking i'm going to be the first insect politician i'm going to be the first insect to combine the insects like drives and and instincts with the human capacity to compromise and you know love and and interact with other people he thinks he's gonna be like king of the flies no i don't think he he doesn't mean politician as in he's gonna run for congress or something i think he means (laughs) okay because that's exactly what i thought well i think there's a sort of uh subterranean allusion to aristotle there aristotle's politics begins with the famous sentence that man is the political animal so the idea being like human beings are by their very nature not solitary they need to live in society with other people so they're a political animal in that sense Um, which is totally not true if you actually think about like insects like they're they're very political insects right there's like ants and bees and stuff like they they have these totally sophisticated societies and everything think that's partially why it confused me so much Mm. i was like insects totally do have politics though like it was so i just figured i didn't have any fucking idea what was going on i mean they don't really have politics in our sense right like we imagined like a hierarchy and they have like jobs and specific roles and they have roles but they don't really have a hierarchy i mean that's like how we imagine it like the queen bee is in charge and she's like ordering everybody yeah but really the queen bee doesn't job doesn't yeah she doesn't tell anybody what to do they just all instinctually know what to do um Hmm. that's true so and when and it's true when like one hive of ants encounters another it's not like they're going to work out a treaty like they're just going to try to kill (laughs) each other until one of them is dead Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so in that sense i guess he's right like insects not big on negotiation true um you know they're going to go after what they're going to go after and if you get in the way they're going to take you apart Mm -hmm. they're dicks (laughs) so i've changed my mind about that but yeah, there there's some great monologues in this. Um, having to do also with uh, 
the sort of theme of embodiments and bodies, um, which I think is a big part of what this movie and, and other Cronenberg body horror type movies are, are about is our relationship to our bodies. So I wrote down one of my favorite quotes uh, okay. from the movie. So this is a sort of like crazed rant that Seth goes on when he's trying to get Ronnie to go into the teleporter. Um, oh and... God. Cause he thinks that he's Superman and he's talking about, we got to take a deep dive in the plasma pool and stuff. Uh, and he says, uh, I'm not just talking about sex and penetration. I'm talking about penetration beyond the veil of the flesh. Um, so that I think is a really like interesting image. I don't know what to do exactly with the plasma pool. Like why plasma pool? I guess because when you get teleported, like you, a plasma is like a, a superheated, it's like the, um, a state of matter that's even hotter than gas. You know, like you have like solid liquid gas and then beyond that is like plasma. So I'm guessing that's a reference to like when you get teleported, you get your, you know, this beam kind of turns you into a plasma and then shoots you over to the other mm -hmm. uh, pod and reassembles you. But like mm -hmm. the idea of uh, teleportation being a kind of penetration that's beyond the penetration of sex um, I think is really interesting um, because it it connects to like the horror of the movie is about having your um, bodily integrity violated as you know some of the most horrifying scenes are where we see you know Seth's face at the end melting away and becoming like this horrible insect face or he's like peeling off his own fingernails and his teeth mm -hmm. are coming out and stuff like that. Um, so there's a sort of uh, instinctual horror that we have at the thought of our bodies coming apart or being, you know, violated. But at the same time, we desire that, you know, we desire to, to penetrate and be penetrated um, in, in other ways. And, you know, sex is a kind of merging of two bodies and a, a, a crossing of the boundaries of of bodies mm -hmm. and uh so i don't know that, that that quote is interesting to me for that reason because it suggests that there's a kind of desire for the same thing that we are horrified by okay it, it's kind of like um another movie from around the same time hellraiser have you seen that one we watched that together Oh, that's so cute. Um, you never, you you just, this happens every episode. You're like, have you seen this? And I say, we watched that together. It's like, if yeah. you think that we were doing this, like it was our script. Well, it, how long ago? Was, it it was, must have been like 15 years ago. <laughs> well, yes. So give me a break. Um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but Hellraiser 2 is kind of like, about a similar thing if you read it that way if you read the fly in this way right like hellraiser is about uh what the cenobites the monsters in that movie are are these like explorers of the outer reaches of human experience and they've gotten to a place where pleasure and pain are sort of the same thing um so that's why they have like you know pinhead has all the needles mm -hmm. sticking into his head and all this stuff um it's kind of i don't know it's, it's about exploring our own bodies and uh, pleasure 
to the, a point that becomes scary because you're no longer respecting your own body's integrity. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Have you noticed that you always find a way to, to relate it to sex somehow? I mean, everything kind of does relate to sex, right? Sex and violence are like the two main things that people are interested in. Just thought it was interesting. I guess I'm kind of interested in food but that's like a distant (laughs) third. (laughs) I am only interested in food. (laughs) Yeah, we were talking before the show. I just thought of another way of reading the film, which would be that it's kind of about dealing with a partner's success, screwing up a relationship. Um, Because although what literally happens to Seth is that, you know, he gets starts to transform into a fly. um, A lot of the symptoms of that are kind of similar to what a lot of people might experience in a relationship where one person suddenly becomes like super successful at what they're doing and starts to kind of turn into an asshole as a result or just the other person can't can't handle the success of the the successful partner um Mm -hmm. so like he starts before he's actually like growing weird appendages or anything he is just full of energy he is uh constantly wanting to do stuff and um he wants her to keep up with him like he wants her to go through the telepod so that she can be more like him and she's like no i'm not really comfortable with that um and then Mm -hmm. he's like oh you're a drag man yeah i don't know i don't know what you think about that reading I believe you. You're much better at that than me. I'm still just horrified. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And then the other thing that I uh, wanted to talk about was, so we've seen some classic universal monster movies. And mm-hmm. this, from of the movies from its time period, this seems like really close to those in some ways to me. Um, did you notice any any similarities between this and a movie like Frankenstein? Well, I mean, they're both experiments that didn't go well. Yeah, you got like the mad scientists. Mm-hmm. Is there a different answer you're looking for? I feel like there is. Well, um... What's the right... Just tell me what the right answer is. I mean, you got like somebody transforming into a monster... Mm-hmm. That didn't happen in uh, the ones that we watched, but like the didn't Wolf that Man. kind of happen in in the Invisible Man? Didn't that sort of? Yeah, yeah, okay. that's very that's very similar actually. Okay, where, that's what I thought. I mean, he doesn't turn into like a repulsive creature, right. but he he goes insane as a result mm-hmm. of his invisibility and the new powers that he has. So he kind of like turns into a jerk, similarly to. Uh, Seth. Right. And in the end, it's uh, similar to um, The Wolfman and Invisible Man, where he has to be killed, and that's the end of the movie, where the the guy who sort of, like, turned into a monster has to be killed in the end. Mm-hmm. Despite there still being a part of him that's, like, good. Sad. Um, and, yeah, and just, like, I don't know, there were certain, like, 
visual motifs too that reminded me of like classic horror movies like when um ronnie is gonna get her abortion and uh seth suddenly like leaps through the the window and then he like picks her up and is like carrying her over the rooftops it's like the creature from the black lagoon yeah or or frankenstein or king kong king kong uh cabinet of dr caligari there's like a long line of movies where you have a monster carrying a Mm -hmm. fainted woman Mm -hmm. in his arms Mm -hmm. totally i did notice that that was a scary scene yeah i didn't expect that to happen (laughs) so that was alarming and i guess like the love triangle too you know like with uh frankenstein you have like the mad scientist his fiance and then victor who's like the kind of d-bag guy who's like trying to (laughs) trying to horn in on his girl right and that's a similar thing in invisible man so yeah i think it's kind of interesting how you can see these like same tropes and motifs even 40 years on getting reworked um into a movie that nonetheless feels very very modern feels very different in a lot of ways from you know something from the 30s i want to go back to watching black and white movies now (laughs) okay um i can't do this anymore well but for next time we're doing uh silence of the lambs right yeah we can do silence of the lambs okay because um, I guess that we should. One I know. We should have apologized to our listeners at the beginning. We're interrupting right. your regularly scheduled programming with this episode. Um, I'm sure they're devastated. They probably all stopped listening by now because they're so enraged. Yeah, um, we just weren't able to get that one together in time. So we'll do that for mm-hmm. next time. Yes, for sure. Okay. Well, did you have anything else to say? I can hear Zing Zing has some choice words about this movie well she probably you know she saw it too and she has opinions yeah so she wants you to know Mm -hmm. that she holds you responsible for what you've done i think i if i can make that out i think she's saying she really likes the effects work (laughs) she probably would fucking say that couldn't agree more Okay, let's never talk about this movie ever again. Great. All right, come back next time for Sounds of the Lamp.